that. So if you open your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 28, page 881 of your pew Bibles. We want to conclude our series. Last time we looked at how the resurrection uh, uh, gives us an understanding of the issue of justice. That if Christ is risen from the dead, then, then we know that God will make all things right. But we also see here in our concluding message that Christ was raised to call us to evangelism. Matthew chapter 20, if you'll stand with me out of reverence of God's word, we'll read two verses. You could probably quote them from memory. I had to learn them as a, as a youngin. Um, Matthew 28, 19, 20, known as the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Father, every time we gather, we, we ask that you would perform the same grace to us. You would open our entire being that we may become more like Jesus. And as we become more like Jesus, we may bring others to Jesus. And through that, we would see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, this is your work. Let it begin among us here in this church. And may I decrease so that you can increase. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. Be seated. I still remember when my wife and I decided that we were ready to announce to our parents that we were finally pregnant. Um, we knew that for my parents, this was their first grandkid, and so we thought they were the priority. And uh, so I was a youth pastor at the time, so every weekend we alternated between staying at my parents and staying at her parents. And so this weekend, we were going to stay at my parents' house on the Saturday night so we could be ready for church Sunday morning at Greenup Fork in Ointon. And so uh, we went in and we said, Mom and Dad, do you, do you care if we, we stay in? We come in. We came in a little late and, and said, uh, let's do dinner and, uh, and all that sort of stuff. So, so we, we fixed a big dinner and everything. We came in at the end. We said, oh, by the way, we got you to a small gift. And if my memory served me right, they were like... Are they booties? Is that what you women, the term you all made up just so you could buy extras? The socks you put on little babies, right? And they were blue and not Kentucky blue. Don't get that excited, guys. And, uh, uh, or, or maybe they were pink. I don't, I don't know. Ask my wife. She can tell you all those details. All I did was sit there and smile. Uh, well, the minute my mother opened up the gift, she, she got the message. My wife is pregnant. And in that moment when she realized what we were telling them... She turned into a Pentecostal on Easter morning. <laughs> she was doing the dance thing. Her hands are up in the air. And, and, and she, was, she, was, she was going crazy. We're going to have a baby. We're like, you ain't. But yes, yes, we're going to have a baby. And all of a sudden, Dad just smiled and all that sort of stuff. And then after Mom's heart rate got a little high, she, 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 she decided to calm down. But she immediately abandoned us at the dinner table, went into the living room, and started calling people. <laughs> the people she chose to call, first of all, were people roughly her age and stage of life, waiting to be a grandparent themselves, but wasn't one yet. She would call. Hey, guess what? I'm going to be a grandma before you. Hey, guess what? I'm going to be a grandma before you. Right? And then after she called all the people, we're still sitting there at the dinner table wondering what in the world you know, we do next. She starts making a list of what she wants to be called. 
grandma, mama, grammy, uh, uh, whatever it, it, it might be. She settled on grammy for those who, who might, might be interested in. Uh, that's sort of what we do with good news. My, my wife did something similar to that years before. The day I asked her to marry me, I was able to sneak into her bedroom like some creep and, or her dorm room, rather, uh, that may sound worse, um, um, as, as some creep would do. And I asked her to marry me, and the first thing she did was she started to cry. Which, let me tell you, ladies, women cry for good news, men only cry for bad news, and we forget your rules are different than ours, right? So I remember thinking, is that a yes or is that a, I don't know how to tell you this, but absolutely not. I didn't know which one that was. And after she, her, her tears dried up a little bit, she completely ignored my presence and said, well, who should I call first? My mother, my sister, all this sort of stuff. I, I couldn't care less. Wait until I leave. <laughs> There's something about good news that it has to be shared. The very definition of good news is the energy by which you share it. If you find out that you're going to have a baby or if you've been engaged or you're getting ready to graduate, or you bought your first house or, or, or you just won the lottery, but you're a Baptist, you didn't play it, but you won it anyways, right? Whatever the good news might be, good news must be shared. That really is the whole point of evangelism. We share of the resurrection of Christ for the very reason we share anything in life. Good news must be shared. That really is our outline. Let's start there with the good news part of that that must be shared. The good news of it. Have you ever noticed, when you read through the Gospels, maybe the first time you read through the Gospels, let's say it's the Gospel of Matthew since we've got it before us, you read through it and Jesus does something strange. He does something incredible that no one else in the world could do. And then he tells everyone, don't tell anybody I did this for you. Let me give you a few examples of this. In Matthew chapter 8, he heals the leper. You remember what he says is, go to to the priest, go to the temple, uh, make your sacrifices, do everything that that you're supposed to according to the law of Moses. But here's the thing. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. And and then in chapter 9, he he does the same thing. He he performs another miracle and, and he says yet again, see to it that no one knows that this happened. Or we can look at Matthew chapter 16. Jesus has, has uh, been revealed as the Son of God. Peter gives his, his great, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus connects that to the cross. And then he says there in chapter 16, do not tell anyone that I am the Christ. That's strange, isn't it? Why in the world would Jesus do any of this? It is odd to the reader to hear it. If you were Jesus, wouldn't you want everyone to know that you were the Messiah? Now, some have suggested the reason for this is, is due to uh, Jesus not ready for large crowds. Remember that Jesus is in Israel. Uh, Rome, the imperial Rome, is in power. And Rome doesn't like large crowds, especially when someone is claiming to be a king. And so scholars will, will say, really, Jesus is just being practical and all that sort of stuff. I think there's some re- reasonableness to that. However... The answer lies, why Jesus uh, did this, it lies in the resurrection. I can prove this biblically, Matthew chapter 17, verse 9. As they were coming down the mountain, now this is the mountain of transfiguration, where Jesus unveils his glory to the inner three. And, and, and there, you remember, Peter's like, dude, I, wanna, I don't want to get off this mountain. 
What you have is a, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a mirror image of what Moses experiences. Moses and two of his buddies went to the top of the mountain, and they, they were in the presence of God. So do Peter, James, and John. They go to the top of the mountain. They encounter God, and they don't want to leave. And so after Jesus has, has, has unveiled himself in the transfiguration, he says, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised. You, you see there? You see why Jesus is doing this? Because to announce Christ is the Messiah before his resurrection risks confusing who Jesus really is and what he came to do. You see, when Jesus fed the 5,000, immediately in John chapter 6, they came wanting to make him king. Why? Because they wanted someone who would feed them forever and ever. They wouldn't have to work for food anymore. See, the problem is, is that prior to the resurrection, Jesus was a carpenter's kid. Jesus was a teacher. Jesus was a political agitator. Jesus was an economic humanitarian. Jesus was whatever it is you wanted him to be. But the minute he was crucified, the minute he was raised from the dead, Jesus' message was clear. Good news has come. And good news must be shared. Christianity is a religion of proclamation. It is a faith that must be shared. That is what sets it apart from other religions throughout history. If it were a religion of law, what we would develop is a culture. If it were a religion of morality, we would have developed a system. If it were a religion of ritual, we would have developed ceremony. Yet the gospel is rooted in history. It is the belief that what has happened in human history, the whole world throughout the ages must know about it. Everything has changed because God has come down. That is why when we are silent about the good news of Jesus, we are betraying ourselves that maybe the good news isn't so good. It would have been odd, right, for my mother with the first grandkid to say, you know what, kids, we are so happy for you. I hope you're ready for the life that awaits you. Now go on back home. We love you. That would be odd, wouldn't it? It would be odd. If you were getting married and, and, and you, 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 you called someone up and, and says, you know, Mom, we're getting married. And their answer was, I'm so happy for you. But don't tell anyone this. Now, you see, good news, if it is really good news, you cannot contain yourself. When we choose silence over proclamation, we unveil what we really believe about the resurrection of Jesus. It's pretty good news, but it's not great good news. If the coming and the resurrection of Jesus is really good news to us, people would know. Do you believe salvation is good news? Do you believe the resurrection of Jesus must be announced? If so, announce it. Proclaim it. We can talk about strategies all we want. How to do this, how to do that. But let us begin here that if it's good news, you'll proclaim it. Notice secondly, good news, it must be shared. It must be shared. Notice here in this text that Jesus begins the Great Commission by announcing his authority. 
If you go back up to to verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. If you you read through Matthew's gospel, authority is a significant issue, the authority of Jesus. Let me give you just a few examples. In Matthew chapter 7, this is the end of Sermon on the Mount, people marvel because Jesus taught as one who had authority. What the rabbis would do is, so-and-so said this, and -and so-and-so told so-and-so, and and -and so-and-so told so-and-so, who told so-and-so, and and now I'm telling you. It was a long chain of previous rabbis. Jesus shows up and says, yo, this is how it is. He spoke as one with a unique authority. In chapter 8, when Jesus calms the storm, this is after he heals the leper and Peter's mother-in-law and others, he calms the storm and he says, oh, you have little faith, right? And he just rebuked the winds. This is an act of creation. In creation, God spoke the wind into existence here. Jesus controls the wind with his very voice. And there was great calm. And you remember what the disciples said after that? Who is this guy that even the wind and the waves obey him? Or chapter 9. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. This is the guy that's lowered down through the roof, right? Or the rough if you're from Owen County. He's lowered down and, and, and he says, To show you I have the authority to forgive sins, I will demonstrate it by healing this paralyzed man. Get up and walk. Your sins are forgiven. So already Jesus has demonstrated an authority to teach, an authority to forgive, an authority to conquer devils. What does he have in mind here? Most scholars would suggest that when in the incarnation, Jesus restrains himself. He, he, he is bound to a human body, if, if, if you will. The miracles and the transfigurations are brief hints of who he really is in his eternal essence. But now that he's been risen from the dead, the unveiling of his glory is made clear. He has all authority, and all authority is now subjected to him. Now, understand the implications of this. We Americans, we don't handle authority very well. The only authority we will submit to is the self. If I believe something, if I think something, or most importantly, if I feel something... We are ruled by our own feelings. We are slaves to our own emotions. That's the only thing. So if an outside entity affirms my feelings, then I will recognize it as an authority. But the real authority is me. If an outside institution does not recognize uh, my authority or does not affirm my feelings, then I will reject the right of, of authority over me. We do this all the time. The left and the right do this. But all of us are guilty of this. We, we, we are subject to this as Americans. We grow up in this sort of culture. And if you disagree with me, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. Let me change my mind. Okay? This, this, is, this is the way that we think. What Jesus claims here runs contrary to our American worldview. If all authority is given to Jesus, what authority do you and I really have? The theological words are zero, zilch, and nada. We have none. All authority is given unto Christ. Paul suggests that, 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 that the world itself is, 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 is held within his hand, it, that, that, that it is subject to him. He holds it all together. All authority is given to him. Now, you and I, we've never lived under a monarchy. We've, not, never, we, we've never lived under a hierarchical government. And we struggle with the claims of a king. 
But if you read Matthew's gospel, and I've shown this uh, multiple times before, Matthew goes out of his way for you and I to get the message, Jesus is king. He is king. Can I give you just a few examples from, from Matthew? We, we, we've, we've done entire uh, sermons and, and, and studies of this. Let me just give you the cliff notes for those who went to public high school, the cliff notes versions. Go back to the nativity story of the birth of Jesus. Who is it that comes to see Jesus? It's the Magi. Who are the Magi? They're people who crowned kings. They first come to who they assume is the king of the Jews, Herod. They meet him. They're like, this guy ain't the king. And they seek out the king. And what do they do? They give him gifts fitting for a king, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We looked at all three of those last Christmas. Well, what happens after that? John the Baptist comes, chapter 3. What is John the Baptist's message, later mirrored by Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 4? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. You cannot have a kingdom without a king. In, in uh, Matthew 13, to do some skipping, there's the parables of the kingdom. So Jesus will say the kingdom of God is like the man who sowed seed, is like a mustard seed, is like leaven, is like treasure in the field, is like priceless pearls, is like a fish full of various fish, or a net full of various fish, right? Now, Jesus tells us what his kingdom looks like because he is the king of the kingdom. Or consider, in chapter 21, Jesus enters into Jerusalem on the triumphal entry, right? This is Palm Sunday. And he enters... On a donkey. And Matthew tells us explicitly, quoting Zechariah, um, Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey. He's meek, to reference Father's Day last week. He's meek and humble riding on a donkey. Notice, Matthew wants you to get the message. Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem is the arrival of a king. The king of Israel. The son of David. You can look at the crucifixion of Jesus. Monarchy language is everywhere. For example, the, in Matthew chapter 27, they twist a crown of thorns on him. They give him a robe and, and, and a reed, and they mock him, saying, Behold the king of the Jews. The sign above his head says, This is Jesus of Nazareth, the so-called king of the Jews. Pilate refuses to take that part of the sign down. He's crucified for claiming to be a king. And so when we come to chapter 28 in the resurrection and Jesus says, all authority is mine, he speaks as one who is king. And we come to him as one who is king. There is no bartering with the gospel. There isn't, okay, Jesus, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll join your team, I'll become your citizen, but you've got to meet me halfway. No, it's either you are a subject of the king or you're a rebel against him. There's no middle ground. Therefore, your choices are either you crown him king or you try to crucify the one who conquers death. And good luck with that. No wonder then Jesus comes and says, look, all authority is mine. And so in a monarchy, to disobey the king is criminal. To go against the king is treasonous. Whatever he commands, subjects must follow. And what does Jesus command here? Well, I'll tell you what he commands. He commands that the good news must be shared. It must be shared. This isn't optional for us. It must be shared. Now stick with me here. The theologians who need something to do, one of the things they do when they read the Bible is, is, is they like to differentiate between what are called gospel indicatives and biblical imperatives. Okay? What's the difference? 
A gospel indicative tells us who we are. A biblical imperative tells us what we should do. Okay? So who we are, what we should do. And that order is important. Who we are determines what we do. Religion actually flips that. Religion comes and says, just do the right things, follow the rules, and you'll become a good boy, Pinocchio. That's, that's, that's not what you get in the gospel. The gospel says, who you are determines what you do. And if you are Christ's, you become like him. Right? Think about it. When I became a homeowner, who I became as a homeowner affected what I did. Let me think about it. I now have the responsibility as a homeowner to mow my yard. There are days I don't want to mow my yard. There are days I can't wait to get away from the wife, kids, and in-laws fast enough that I can't wait to mow the yard, right? But I must mow the yard. Now, I am more than willing to mow your yard one time if you are cry loud enough, right? And you increase your tithe into the church. I'm willing to do that, right? I'm willing to help people out. I'll go over and, and mow my parents' yard. I'll marry uh, other people's or marry. I'll mow other people's yards. I'll do all of that, right? But there's a limit to such grace. I'm not going to do it all summer. I don't like you that much. I don't have that much time on my hands. But all summer, I am mowing my yard. Why? Because who I am, the indicative, determines what I do, the imperative. That's what we get in the gospel. If we are citizens of the king, then we are called to obey that king. Who we are shapes what we do. Here are the three things Jesus tells us to do in the Great Commission. These three things. He has asked us to do three things. And if you are a citizen of the kingdom, you will do these three things. Here they are. To go, to make, to disciple. And there's no limits of this. Go to all the nations. Later, Jesus will define that as, okay, Jerusalem, start there. Go to Judea, go to Samaria, go to the end of the world. Go. And when you go, go make. And what do you make? You go make disciples. That's your job. The most important thing about you is who you are in Christ and what he's called you to do. And this is it. You want to know what God's plan is for your life? You want to know what God's will is for your life? It's right here. It's no mystery. It's very obvious before us. Should I go here? Should I take that job? Should I go to this college? Should, should we have more children? Should, should I marry this person? Should, should, should I go on that date? Should, should, should I take the promotion? Should, 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 should I spend the weekend with my in-laws? I, whatever it might be. The answer is who you are. Son of the kingdom. Brought about by the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ determines what you do. And what you're called to do is to go, to make, to disciple. The problem is, we all know this. This, this, this isn't new. This is, this is probably the first sermon you heard as a little kid. You're supposed to go tell people about Jesus. First time you went to Sunday school. First time you went to vacation Bible school. What was the message? Tell other people about Jesus. You went to GAs, RAs, whatever it is. Go tell people about Jesus. This isn't new. The problem is we're not doing it. According to a 2012 LifeWay research study, 80% of American evangelicals who attend worship at least once a month believe they bear responsibility to share their faith. 80%, that's, that's pretty good. I like to talk to the other 20, but nevertheless, 80% is all right. Of that 80%, however, 61% have admitted to not sharing the gospel in the previous six months. 
Likewise, 48% of worshipers have not invited an unreached person to join them in worship over the last six months. Perhaps what is least surprising about these statistics are that they are not surprising. Let us stop bemoaning the culture drift when we are still sitting on our hands in padded pews. Good news must be shared. Carl F. H. Henry was right when he said that the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. I'm reminded of one of my favorite scenes of any movie of all time. It, of course, came in 2000 with the hit film, The Grinch. And there you may remember Jim Carrey is trying to decide that after Cindy Lou, who has invited him to the party, he's trying to decide if he's going to go or not. And he's trying to come up with reasons not to go, right? He's Baptist on a Sunday morning. He says, the nerve of those who's inviting me down there on such short notice. He sounds like a Baptist, doesn't he? Even if I wanted to go, my schedule wouldn't allow it. One o'clock, wallow in self-pity. 4.30, stare into the abyss. 5.30, jazzercise. 6.30, dinner with me. I can't cancel that again. 7 o'clock, wrestle with my self-loathing. I'm booked. Well, if I bump the loathing to nine, I can still be done in time to lay in bed and stare at the ceiling and slip slowly into madness. But what would I wear? My favorite line, however, is right there in the middle. This is what he has planned for five o'clock. Solve world hunger. Tell no one. I love that. It's a great line. It's a great line. But it reflects how most of us view the resurrection of Jesus. See the kingdom realized, but tell no one. Know the secret to vibrant and real healing, tell no one. The gift of assurance and comfort in our times of need of grace, tell no one. The hope we have in Christ that justice will reign forth and his kingdom will come and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Silence. Really not much better than the Grinch. If Christ is risen, we had better tell the world. Good news must be shared. Well, I shared with you earlier what it was like to share the announcement that we were going to be parents for the first time with my mother. Later, we made the same announcement to my in-laws. And there was my father-in-law, mother-in-law, and sister-in-law at Cracker Barrel. And so we, we brought a little gift and all this similar sort of approach. And what we got in response was significantly different. Where mom turned into a, a Pentecostal with, with long blue hair. My mother-in-law turned into an old regular Baptist. <laughs> Stoic and calm. Now, my sister-in-law was excited. She, she had three kids herself, and she was excited because, she, because being an aunt or an uncle is cool. Right? That's the best job. That's got to be better than being a grandparent because you never have to actually watch the kids. Um, you, you, it, 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 being an uncle is cool. I'm finally an uncle. That's cool. I love being an uncle. So my, my sister-in-law was excited, but my mother-in-law, she was happy for us, but like an old regular Baptist would, minus the organ. And the reason is because for my mother... Our son was, was the first grandchild. 
This was new news. My mother-in-law, this was like number nine or something like that. Loves all of them equally, but it's not new news. We really think about it. For far too many of us, we're more like my mother-in-law in this scenario. We take the gospel and the fact that it is great news for granted. We're used to it. We've seen people walk down the aisle. We've seen people get baptized. We've seen marriages uh, uh, healed. We've seen lives transformed. We've seen our own lives transformed. We take it for granted. It's not new news anymore. And if we're not careful, we will find that when the angels rejoice in heaven over the repentance of a single sinner, a bit overblown. But we dare not do that. Good news. If you really believe this is good news, if you really believe the resurrection is the only hope of the world, it must be shared. So what I want you to do here today is I want you to make a list. We've done this before. Most of us didn't do it. I already know that. I want you to make a list. At least one person who's your one. Or put five people. Make ten people. Whatever it is that is reasonable. God has put into your life that's lost. A co-worker. A neighbor. Family member. Friend. Whatever it might be. And you will, for the next six months, pray as often, as regular, and as long as you can for their salvation. And that God would give you the boldness and the courage to witness, to share, and to plead for their repentance. If you want to grow this church, grow the church. If you want to see this community changed, change the community. Good news must be shared. Who is it you're going to share it with? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I ask you to be kind that you would give us